I'm Anya Katz, and you're listening to A Millennial's Guide to Saving the World. I started this podcast because I was tired of being stereotyped as lazy, triggered, and entitled. I wanted to give voice to a different kind of millennial and invite us to write a new story. One of a generation willing to challenge the status quo, embrace nuance and paradox, and reject PC culture. This podcast isn't about finding answers. It's about asking the right questions. How can we reinvent ourselves and the narratives we've been expected to inherit? How can we take ownership over the ways we participate in our own suffering? How can we move beyond victimization and into empowerment? How can we fix ourselves to fix the world? It's time for new dreams, new stories, and new futures. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to episode 59 of A Millennial's Guide to Saving the World. I am sitting here on the Kukanusa Reservoir. You can probably hear the water lapping up against the shore. Uh, The Kukanusa is in northern Montana. It actually goes into Canada. And interestingly, um, we spent some time up on this reservoir on the Canadian side last year. So this year, given that we are quarantined in America, we're on the American side. Um, But I gotta say, the American side's just as beautiful. America is not all that bad, at least when you are as far away from most people and things as possible. Um, Yeah, beautiful spot. The numerous beautiful spots that I sit down to record these intros in uh, are pretty unbelievable. I always feel super grateful that this is my life and um, hope to inspire all of you that you can have lives that enrich and inspire you as well. Uh, Very excited to bring you today's episode. It is with a close friend of mine, Justin. I have been wanting to record with him for quite a while, so I'm glad it happened, and I'm glad it happened when it did. Justin worked in the fire department for 23 years, and part of what we talk about is just sort of the the issues that face us right now in general, but specifically systemically, and Justin shares some of his insight and opinions about what's going on in the world, so I'm glad we waited until this time to hear him talk about all that he sees going on, coming from kind of having an insider's perspective. Um, Before I get into the episode, I want to take care of some housekeeping. Uh, Firstly, the official Millennial's Guide to Saving the World book club is underway. This month we are reading Braiding Sweetgrass. I am about 100 pages in at this point, and it's so fucking good that I can't put it down. Uh, which is a hard, which is hard because uh, we're gonna gather together on a live Zoom call and discuss it at the end of August, or probably actually at the beginning beginning of September. And I'm afraid I'm gonna read it too fast. That by the time we all talk about it, I'm not gonna remember anything. Uh, so I'm trying my best to read it slowly, which is very hard because it's so good. Um, Uh, In case you haven't heard, I've decided to start a book club as a part of the perks for my patrons. 
Um, so if you go to patreon.com slash Anya Kotz, there are multiple different levels that you can sign up. The middle one, which is a $10 a month donation, gets you access to all sorts of things, including the book club. Um, also, uh, at, at different tiers, I share playlists and there's a um, exclusive WhatsApp group chat. Um, I'm going to get talk about the book club first and I'll get into the rest of it. Uh, so basically four times a year for those who are a member of the $10 tier and up level, we are all going to collectively vote on a book that we'd like to read. My goal is to always pick a, pick a book that has been recommended by one of my previous podcast guests. So if you've been listening for a while, you know that I always ask everyone to recommend one book. Um, and I think I'll, I'll sort of choose four of them thematically, uh, and then we'll vote on which one we want to read, and then we'll read that one, we'll have a month to read it, and then we'll all gather together live on a Zoom call and discuss it. Um, I think what I'm going to do is put out a call to everyone that is reading the book to send in like one quote or one question or just one topic they'd like to discuss, and then I'll choose several of those, and that will be the basis of our conversation. So... It's cool because we all get to read a book together, reflect on it together, but mostly it's a way for all of you to interact with one another. So if you would like to be a part of the book club, it is not too late. You just have to become a patron within the month of August. Um, you can do that at any time. I'm totally cool if all you can afford is one month of Patreon uh, just because you want to read the book. That's totally fine. You're welcome to sign up and then opt out. Um, if you'd like to remain a patron at that level, you get access as well to um, an exclusive WhatsApp group chat. So at first, I was going to just have 30 people in that chat and then limit it. Uh, but then I realized I can create multiple groups. So I don't want to overwhelm anyone with WhatsApp messages. So I figure the way to do that is to create little little pods of 30 people. So the first group is already filled up. Um, we have, I think, three or four members of the second group. So I'm just about to start that. And basically every 30 people will have their own little pod. And hopefully at some point we can work out a way to have you all interact with one another. But um, I think having a smaller group is better for actually getting to know people a little deeper and really feeling like you're embedded in a community and not just an overwhelming amount of messages being thrown back and forth. So there is room for everyone in the WhatsApp group chats. Um, so again, head on over to patreon.com slash Anya Kotz. That's P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com slash Anya Kotz, A-N-Y-A-K-A-A-T-S and sign up. We would love to have you a part of uh, these groups and um, appreciate you being a patron at any level. Of course, if $10 a month is out of the question, um, any of the other levels are fine. You get perks within those levels as well. And then, of course, another way to support the podcast for no money at all is just to head over to iTunes, hit subscribe so that you get notified when a new episode comes out and leave some stars in a review. As I've mentioned before, this helps the podcast show up more in search results, which is especially important because no one seems to be able to know how to spell the word millennial. Uh, so if you don't type it in exactly correctly, it like doesn't know what you're talking about. So the more people that subscribe, the more people that leave stars and leave a review, uh, the more easy it is for newcomers to find it. And also it makes the podcast look more legitimate so that when I reach out to guests to come on the show, uh, the first thing they're going to do 
do is head on over to iTunes and see if it looks like anybody actually listens to the show and enjoys it. Um, and if they seem they think that it does, they'll come on the show. And if they don't think it's worth their time, they probably won't. So in the end, this all circles back around and benefits you with better guests. And um, I appreciate all of it. I appreciate you listening. I appreciate anytime any one of you has recommended the show to a friend or shared an episode with someone you think might appreciate it. I've said from the beginning, my my main goal is to just get this podcast out to as many people as possible, especially now. I think we all need communities, even if they're from afar, to keep us fucking sane uh, during these times and all times, but especially now. So any and all of your support that you have given in the past, are giving now, will give in the future. I greatly, greatly appreciate it. What else? Uh, one thing that I always forget to mention, if you are interested, um, if you enjoy the music that I play on this podcast, I have a Spotify playlist called A Millennial's Guide to Saving the World. Um, and it has every song that I've ever played on the playlist, on the podcast, on the playlist. Um, so uh, people ask me all the time what certain songs are. I always write them down in the description of the episode. But if you'd like one place where they all exist, uh, you can subscribe to that playlist and it's updated frequently. Um, and then I also, as I mentioned, have a, a bunch of other playlists that I release to my patrons, but those are only available if you sign up on Patreon. I think I have four out now. I have another couple in the works. Um, so super excited to keep releasing more of those to you. Uh, I think that's all the housekeeping. Um, before I bring you this conversation with Justin, the only other thing I wanted to mention, um, the song I'm going to play you in with today, uh, it's called Bones. And there's a lyric in it that goes, I'm so far from not caring. And... It's definitely applicable to the conversation I have with Justin, but it also just really reminded me of my past and my childhood growing up uh, in terms of caring about things. I always feel like I was so passionate. I mean, verging on enraged <laughs> about certain things, but I always gave so much of a shit about things. I felt like I always cared about things or, you know, was accused of making mountains out of molehills. And of course, there's a degree to which we can make things bigger than they need to be, especially when something's, you know, in the negative realm. But I always cared. Things affected me profoundly. And I feel like a message I got, I think from my peers, also from people older than me, was that it wasn't really cool to care. Or, you know, I remember I had a friend who I would always kind of speak to about certain issues, things that were going on in the world. And she really didn't want to hear a lot of them. She, it felt like she was being bothered by them. And, you know, she's like, look, I just got to stop you there. Like, I'm kind of tapped out. Um, and I just have to worry about myself. Like, there's really nothing I can do about any of these things. And then kind of proceeded to guilt trip me around how much I gave a shit and made me feel like my giving a shit somehow distracted me from my own life and my own needs. Uh, and that was really toxic, I think. And I think especially now, one of the issues that we're dealing with 
is that we've gone so long being isolated in our own little worlds, being completely oblivious to what's going on around us. I mean, even, you know, there's a difference between an intellectual understanding about something and an actual experience or an emotion uh, about something, an emotional connection to something. You know, I, I've known for as long as I can remember that global warming was a thing, right? That the planet was suffering immense, uh, suffering immensely, but I don't really think it was until I got outside and started traveling alone and spending multiple weeks at a time in nature that I could actually feel that pain. And there's a big difference. You know, I think this friend of mine who I mentioned, I think she was aware of the injustices. I think she was aware of the issues, but she didn't really let herself go there. She didn't really delve into the depths of what that would mean. You know, I think even prior to actually spending time outside, the first time I had a, felt like I had a real connection to the planet was just plain old grieving, just having emotions, processing emotions. It became abundantly clear that there was a very strong link between my own pain and someone else's pain, my own pain and the planet's pain. These things were all intertwined and it became nearly impossible to isolate anything. It was overwhelming and so, of course, I have sympathy and understanding for why we don't really immerse ourselves in any of these things, because one, I don't think we have the personal tools, the psychological tools to deal with these things on our own, but also we're not supported in them collectively because other people are telling us to shut up or to be quiet or, you know, that they have their own things going on. Uh, in this conversation with Justin, he brought up something that was really profound about welfare, which is obviously a very kind of taboo topic to discuss. Um, one thing I love about Justin is that he is very similar to uh, to me in that he is pretty unafraid to question things or to express politically incorrect opinions, because I think normally the truth of something does not reside within the conventional narratives about anything. But he brought up this really interesting point about welfare that I'd never considered before, which isn't that welfare is bad and that we shouldn't be helping people. But he questioned whether we were helping people in the right way. By giving someone money, are we motivating them and supporting them in doing something that means something to them in their life? You know, what might we be able to do that was like welfare but that actually put people in positions that would actually help them long term. So what if we kind of enforced that everyone do work in the forest service for a year? What if we gave someone money specifically to, you know, try something new creatively? And of course, I'm not suggesting like I understand the reason that these people are on welfare is because they need money to actually live. But I really wish it was tied to something else. It reminds me of a program in the Netherlands that um, actually provides drugs to drug addicts. So you can go get drugs for free from the government, no strings attached. But interestingly, what they do is when you go to the facility to get the drugs, uh, they let you know what's available to you if you'd ever want it. So there are, there are um, ways that you can be supported by a community. There are 
rehabilitation programs. They don't force it, but it's there as a part of it. And they're giving these people drugs because they're trying to keep them off the streets. Like if we give them the drugs, they don't have to steal money from someone else to get the drugs. It's a really beautiful system that I think ties in multiple aspects of social infrastructure, which is, I think, something that America is really, really bad at. Um, We are so traumatized, I think, and so cut off and so unwilling to examine anything that our way to solve problems is to find the quickest, easiest solution that bothers us the least or that at least we think is bothering us the least in the end. I think this all circles back around and we're in the middle of a fucking collapse because of this terrible strategy. But we're, we're just so cut off. We're so isolated. And that's not beneficial to anybody. I said in a couple intros back about how when we don't live our authentic individuated lives... We're not only hurting ourselves, but we're hurting other people. We're hurting other people in the way that they don't get to benefit from our gifts. They don't get to benefit from what we're good at and what we were, you know, sent here to offer the world. And also we're not motivating anyone to do this, right? If if we're living bullshit, nine to five, you know, empty lives young people are going to follow that lead. They're going to follow whatever they see. And if what they mostly see is conventionality and unhappiness, then that's what they're going to do. So especially now, let's stop making it cool not to care. Let's care and let's care about things that and and express opinions and talk about things that not everyone is talking about. You know, I love when people just like, post the same thing on Instagram that 9 million other people have posted or express an opinion that all their friends express. That's not vulnerable. And therefore, that's not courageous. You know, we need to exhibit courage. (laughs) Vulnerability is courageous. It's definitely something that Justin embodies. And uh, I think we'd all do a lot better if we could be a little more like Justin. (laughs) My computer is at 5% right now, so I feel like I need to stop recording this, record the outro, and wrap this up for you, um, and just let you listen to this conversation. Um, The one last thing I'll mention is I keep sort of talking about how there's something I'm writing, and that I'm releasing this episode about white shamanism with my friend Leah, which I'm still planning on doing. Um, I'm extremely fascinated by the realm of narcissism. Uh, both on sort of an individual relational level, but also what's happening and what has happened in our world collectively for quite some time, how we prop up narcissists um, and fawn after them on all sorts of different levels. And my episode with my friend Leah, uh, as well as a few other episodes that I plan to record, all have something to do with this. And so I thought it might be cool to release like a four-part series that revolves around narcissism and narcissistic personality disorder, looking at it from a psychological, historical, um, mythological viewpoint, just sort of hitting uh, on every point. So that's coming Um I want to do that well and right. So if another episode or so is released before then, so be it. I trust uh, the timing on that one, but something to look forward to. So enjoy this episode. Thank you so much for being here. Love you all. And I will catch you on the other end. Oh, no.
I forgot to tell you about the song. I briefly mentioned it. Um, the song that I'm going to play you is called Bones by DeArmond Edison. And uh, there's a lot about this song that is applicable to what I just said and to my conversation with Justin, but um, I'll have you listen to it and decide for yourself. So enjoy. And this time, for real, we'll catch you on the other end. Bye. How alone to be 
friend Justin. Hello. Who I'm very excited to have on the podcast because we have a lot of like similarities in our upbringing. Yeah. I think I was thinking more about that this morning. Um, but yeah, so both of our dads are gay mm-hmm. and Dutch Dutch. Yeah, I mm-hmm. forgot about that one. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think also just like the way, and I'd love for you to talk about this, but the way that we found out about our dads being gay led us to I think, question the world right. in a really similar right. way. Right. Um, so what was the deal with you? So were your parents married? So married, yeah. So dad uh, dad was from New Zealand, he, you know, Dutch family, born in New Zealand, though. Um, and then... This is appropriate. <laughs> right? <laughs> we were just talking about background noise. Um, engine 9. Yeah. That's the, the neighborhood one. Yeah, and Justin is a former fireman, so... <laughs> Welcome to the show. Yeah, yeah, that is appropriate. <laughs> yes. uh, so dad, dad was, dad graduated high school early. Uh, dad came to the States when he was, I think around nine or 10 or so. Um, and then, so he graduated college early, was a music major, music major. And then, um, also, uh, teaching, got his teaching certificate. So he started teaching high school music. Um, in the town I was born in, it was, you know, small town. Where about? Uh, Longview, Washington. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's, um, like an hour north of Portland and it's still kind of a redneck town. It's, 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 it's changed some, but it's, it's, um, historically been, uh, you know, especially in the late seventies, mid to late seventies, it was not a, um, very open place. Uh, so he got a job. I think he was just 20 years old when he got hired uh, as a teacher there. And so, um, you know, and I, I in, in college, definitely, you know, I think my dad always knew he was gay. Um, but uh, he got to the school there, and there was there was rumors that he was gay. And, and what, like, year? This is, so this is, like, 77, 76, okay. 77. Yeah. Uh, so there was rumors that he was gay, um, and there was a teacher there. That, uh, she was a little bit older, but really took my dad under her wing, and... And, um, so she kind of set my dad up with my mom, who was one of my, her students, former students. My mom dropped out of high school, had a kid, my sister when she was 16. Um, and so it was kind of, it was supposed to be a little, uh, I think just, uh, a bear, you know, or a blind, you know, and like so an arranged marriage. Or yeah. Kind of. And, and, and yeah. So it wasn't supposed to be a marriage. It was just supposed to be kind of a, a relationship that, so, that, you know, take the heat off of him. Right. Um, this is as far, and, and granted, you know, I've had to piece together some of this, yeah. so, but, um, but, the, the, but there was, uh, the, yeah, the allegations he was gay. And then the, the superintendent at the time said, um, well, that's, so that's when my mom came in and right. then, and then the superintendent found out that he was dating the girl that had been a student there. Mm. And so whatever, he just said that he was going to get fired if he didn't, they didn't marry my mom because I think my mom had gotten pregnant at that time with me or something. I, yeah. I can't, I don't know. Yeah. But anyhow, so it, 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 you know, he was, he was always gay. I think he just had a short lived time of trying to be a straight guy and it, it didn't work out so well. <laughs> Shocking. <laughs> yeah. Um, so yeah, so then eventually did he decide like, this is not worth it. 
this isn't who I am. Do you know what that process was yeah, like? Yeah, I always like three. I only have, a, you know, a couple of memories of my dad at home, you know, and, and um, really they're, they're, you know, arguing with my mom who she's a hard one to get along with. So yeah. I, uh, I could only imagine the, the conflict that was going on at that time, you know, uh, internally for him, plus just being in a relationship with my mother. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, they, you know, he was gone. I think they the divorced, separated when I was three or four. Um, but by the time I, you know, started putting it together and, and talking to him about it, he was, there was no, yeah, he was, he was comfortable in it. You know, he was, I am what I am. That's what he always told me. Yeah. Did you feel like you had a sense of what was going on before the word gay or category of gay was associated with him? Like, did that, cause I found out in the way that was like, I saw him with a guy. I didn't think of, it was weird. It was just his. Right friend but they held hands and kissed but it didn't even occur to me right to to think about the fact that that was somehow like different but then i found out he was like gay and obviously gay even when i found out which was the early 90s still had a bad right. connotation right um and you sort of had that too because your mother was pretty religious religious yeah. so i grew up with a stepfather who was incredibly abusive but yeah uh but when you know he went to church so he was an okay guy but my dad was gonna go to hell yeah. You know, uh, but he had the only long-term stable relationship, you know, that your I, dad did. Yeah, yeah. Growing up. So it was, you know, really confusing to me. And I didn't, uh, you know, so I think it was, I was like fourth grade when I, when I first asked my mom, cause my dad had been with his partner f- since I was five. Um, so three or four years by that point at least. And, and, um, and they were roommates, you know, and, yeah. and Neil had his own room, yeah. uh, that he slept in when I was there and I slept with my dad and and then as I got older, I got in my own room, but, um, yeah, like it was, you know, it was just roommates. And, and so it didn't, except about fourth grade when I started like gay, like, Oh, my dad's gay. And so I remember asking my mom, like it wasn't, I wasn't upset by it. It was just like, Hey, is, you know, what is, you know, like the roommate thing just didn't seem make, it wasn't making sense, you know? (laughs) And so, um, I asked her and she like freaked out about it and, and she was like, oh, I had to call your dad. And it was like this big deal. And I just remember thinking, like, why is this such a big deal? Like, what? Right. Why? I didn't get it. And then, um, you know, but then, I, yeah, the pastor at church talked to me. And then that was, like, all this stuff. Like, the elders of the church. Would, that's when, you know, my you know, dad, you know, he's going to go to hell. And, it's gonna you know, all this shit. And it's like, I, it, it just didn't make any sense to me. It was very confusing. And so my dad, um, I remember going up there pretty Shortly after that, my dad picked me up because I I could go up there one week in a month and two weeks out of the summer, and that's all my mom would let him have. So um, I was limited to that, and I could I would have stayed I would have lived with him if I could have. Yeah. Um, but I remember going up and we went for a walk, and and I just remember asking him like, "Well, why are you gay?" Like I didn't, you know, like, why yeah. make this choice or whatever. <laughs> and he was just like, "I am what I am. I'm not, you know." Yeah. And so I, it didn't, I didn't, that didn't click with me at the time, but as I got older, like, oh, just, I am what I am. Like that, the, you know, I think the whole thing with, you hear from church is his choice and it's not a choice. Yeah, no. I mean, that's silly. Yeah. So, um, but anyhow, that's, that was, I, you know, I stayed in church. My, my mom and stepfather divorced when I was probably seventh or eighth grade. You know, and she went through quite a few marriages. Well, a couple marriages, relationships, and stuff from that point on. But um, yeah, I was never really close with my mom or anything. But 
my dad, though. I, you know, it, that, like I said, that was the only stable, healthy, loving relationship I had to look to. Yeah. So. Were there any kids, like, that you were friends with that you ever talked to about this? Were you bullied about it? Like, was it a thing that was in the community? Uh, a couple of my close friends. Like, so most of my friends were church. Yeah. Um, and, I, you know, I had some friends from school, but never really... It was, I just lived in a crate, you know, chaos home. So yeah. um, most of my friends were church because I could go to their houses and be away for the weekend and kind of stuff. But as I got older, some of them would learn, you know, I would tell them. But I was, I didn't, I wasn't very open with that. Yeah, me just It's so weird. It wasn't that long ago, but. I know. It was so different. Yeah, yeah. I know people get weirded out when I talk about this too. And I actually think by the time, like my parents got divorced in the early 90s, I didn't actually find out that he was quote-unquote gay, whatever, right. until the late 90s. But even then, and I was in, you know, 30 minutes north of Manhattan, Yeah, it was still not accepted or talked about. Or I graduated high school in 1997, and I remember I was over here in, in Spokane in 1998, and uh, my dad's friend uh, had a rainbow sticker on his car. <laughs> and that was like, that was a big deal, you know, yeah. like, that was bold. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. It was definitely hush-hush. So weird, yeah. Yeah, and I, I kept it a secret. I don't think it was until I went to college that I kind of, maybe a little bit after, or a little before that, but that I felt comfortable actually talking about it. But it was like, that was my big secret, you right, know? It was like, right. I would get to know someone, and if I really finally trusted them, then I could finally reveal that my dad was gay. Right. Um, which, of course, at this point, I don't even think about talking about that for the most part. Yeah. Um, but yeah, the, uh, you know, the friends, though, there was the, the thing that bothered me was like in the church, um, none of my friends could come visit my, right. my dad's house with me. Right. You know, and that was always, so I guess those friends knew, or at least their parents knew, but, um, yeah, it's, it's weird. It's a weird thing that. Yeah. And do you feel like you came to that mostly on your own, just sort of seeing your dad who seemed probably pretty sane and in this you know, healthy, committed relationship and then seeing what other people were defining as normal as kind of fucked up and toxic. Right. And like, this, was that just something that sort of was going through your brain on your own internally? Just like, what is going on? Yeah, I mean, world? I was one that I've, I've always been curious about anything, you know. Not, yeah. uh, even as, as a kid, I don't feel like I've ever really been stuck in my, my beliefs much, you know. Right. Um, I've always tried to be open to different things and learn and grow and um and such so you know i questioned religion a lot i questioned uh you know just the fact that why is he gonna go to hell and by my stepdad he he beats me like yeah right and these guys these fucking guys at church knew it you know like yeah but so that was very confusing to me and it just didn't i think you know at church i kept on with it until my dad died when i was 15 uh he died of aids and uh I was like, I I hadn't really gone to church until, you know, like 13, Mm. I kind of stopped going. It was more youth group, you know, just to be social, but it was just so weird. I just was not into it at all. And then after he died, I was just not, that was it. Yeah. So. Did all of that leave you, do you think, with like a lot of anger around just sort of, well, one, your dad died. And I think that having that be like. Like, why did it have to be this way? Right, <laughs> you know? right. I just, I wonder about that. I think I had a lot of, like, I didn't know it at the time, but right. I think I was super angry. Angry, yeah. Yeah, just kind of the world as well of, like, 
why don't you see what I'm experiencing? Right. You know? Well, anger was not one that was a a big emotion of mine growing up. And that was because my stepdad was just an abusive, angry. I mean, he'd just fly off the handle, snap. And so um, I didn't learn how to manage anger. um, And so I just didn't get angry, you know, (laughs) in in a weird way. But but anger is just a secondary emotion. Anyhow, you're either, you know, you're sad or you're scared, you know, And, and, and it presents as anger. And so I, uh, I've always been more sad, you know, that's been yeah. my comfort zone. You know, I've, I've fought depression, anxiety and, and all that kind of stuff, but that was definitely my childhood was, was depression and just, I hid a lot, you know, stayed off the radar. Yeah. That was my survival mechanism. So, so ang- anger wasn't, I, I, I don't remember a time ever being really angry, yeah. you know, about it, but, um, yeah, I definitely repressed it Yeah. too. Yeah. Um, I can now look back and see, I think how I was acting was definitely just frustrated and right. definitely sad. Um, so you, at what point did you decide you wanted to become a fireman? When did that? Oh, that's a time I was little. That's all I wanted to do. Really? Okay. I want to say one more thing with the church. Before <laughs> yeah, okay. Please do. With, you know, one thing about having grown up with a gay father, at least, you know, from the male side, I didn't ever question my sexuality. Yeah. And that's one that I learned and, and being open and talking to his friends, like most of those guys all knew pre puberty. I mean, like yeah. they were attracted to boys. It was never. Yeah. Uh, and so it was weird that back in the church, how many, how many guys in the church, how many elders would ask like, are you, do you are you gay? You know, like, right, yeah, for sure. And so that always like, even this day, like I think back on some of those, I'm like, they were fishing. Like, I think they were gay. Yeah. You know, trying you know what I mean? Yeah, for sure. Well, yeah, I think agreed. I mean, in terms of questioning my sexuality, and I'm sure you had this experience too, we were talking to your dad's partner last night about this. I think in seeing my dad's relationships and seeing how gay men created community yeah. and how they engaged with each other, like there was a lot more openness mm-hmm. and that sort of nuclear family unit wasn't available to them. Right. So when you don't have the sort of common acceptable choice available, you just kind of do what feels right outside right. of that context. Um, so I think I agree. I, I think I always knew I was into dudes, yeah. <laughs> but at the same time I didn't judge myself really for any of my sexual attractions or like it was just very kind of open in a way that I don't think, I think a lot of other people have a hard time with that. Yeah. Um, And even just like, I was going to ask you too about masculinity, right? Like, I think that's another thing that guys are especially really like keen on trying to like be the dude. And, um, yeah, I'm sure you just, as, as did I, I got a very unique example of what a man was, you know? Right. And like, I think gay men, especially gay men of like our dad's generation, like those are some of the bravest, like most masculine dudes ever, you know? Well, my dad and and Neil, I mean, they, if you got too close to him, you'd you'd probably, I think people probably suspected they were gay, but they didn't, they weren't out in public, like in assless chops. Yeah, they weren't that kind, and you know, but they remodeled houses and they, you know, like yeah. Neil's the the straightest gay guy you'll ever meet, you know. Yeah. Yeah. Um but like I said both comfortable in their shoes and and there so there's that. There then what is it to be a man, you know? Right. It's to be true to yourself. To be honest to yourself and be yeah. you, you know, right. and try to be the better you and 
that's a man. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think guys that are the most in touch with their, like, femininity right. are the most masculine men that there are. Because it's not a game. They're not pretending. They're not trying. They're just not concerned. Right. You know? And I think being, like, sort of concerned about how you're coming off as a man is really emasculating. Yeah. So, you know, to come kind of back to yeah. your, your question, I think that... Like you, yeah, but having that experience in and going through that, you know, and back then it, I, it was, it was tar. I mean, as a child, there was, yeah, there was definitely, you know, like I said, the, the, the church, I couldn't have friends go to the house and all that, Yeah, but it helped me be comfortable with who I am, you know, Right. it didn't, like I said, I didn't question my sexuality. I'd never like, never had yeah. attraction towards boys as a little. And it's like, okay, I'm good. And I don't, right. you know, like yeah. I just. It, it was the I don't know I guess it was just easier because I yeah I don't know yeah I have a younger brother and I feel like he probably had a very similar experience to you it was yeah. never like if he was gay that would be fine but yeah. it was just never an issue and I think he I think uh, his energy I think is similar to yours in the sense that he's not like he's trying to be like a man's right. man or anything he's just chill right you know right. <laughs> Um, but yeah, I mean, the fireman thing is interesting though, because like, do you feel like you were at all the odd man out in a very sort of man's world? Um, or, or I imagine like, you know, working in construction or like something that's very like heavily male dominated. Did you ever feel different? Yeah, I think um, in the fire, and I got in the fire service in, you know, in late 90s, 97, I guess, was my first year that I actually got to fight fire. Um, you know, so the gay thing around the fire station, I, you know, I started a smaller department. Um, the thing about firefighters is, I, I, you know, at that time there was, you know, still gay jokes. And yeah. I mean, guys make gay jokes at all the time. Yeah. I mean, that's pretty common, right? And listen <laughs> yeah. to any teenage boys. and Yeah. Um, but you know, it's, it, that was definitely more prevalent then than now. Um, but the thing about firefighting is that when you do a kind of job or military is the same way where you, where you got to depend on each other's lives and you get in some weird situations and some things that challenge you and you see some weird shit and you, you know, like that kind of stuff goes away, you know, color of skin and male, female and, right. you know, gay, like it just, those things don't, Yeah. And I would probably imagine that those guys that you've gotten to know, I mean, maybe not all of them, but I bet that those uh, professions are also like wrongfully categorized as misogynist and right. like cruel. And probably on the inside, it's just a bunch of like sensitive dudes trying the, to do a good job. For the most part, yeah. I mean, that, that's it's it's you know, I went to the bigger city. That's when I got more of the diversity training and mm-hmm. and such, but. Um, I think that there was a common misconception that, and I'm not saying there hasn't been stuff that's gone on the fire service and there's not room to improve and all that. But I think that from the outside looking in, I think a lot, you know, at least from the HR and when they came and taught the classes, it was like, they had no idea that it's really not this way. You know, um, it's, it's a, we look, we lived together for 24 hours at a time. Like you get to know that's a third of your life, right? That's your family. Yeah. You know, it's your second family. Yeah. Oh, yeah, for sure. Did you... So, like, why... I'm curious why you wanted to be a fireman, and then if it turned out to sort of be what you thought it was going to be. Like, the thing you were sort of desiring, did you feel like that's what 
the experience actually so was. So like when that fire engine went by earlier, yeah. uh, with the wrong kind of siren to you, by the way. <laughs> but uh, uh, when that went by, like as a kid, I, if I heard a siren, I was to the window. I, I, I couldn't, it didn't matter. I wanted to just go see what it was, you know? Yeah. And then a fire, I just always wanted to be a fire. That's all I can remember. I was, I was fascinated by it. Like my toys, as many toys, as books, anything I can get fire related, I was into it. Yeah. Um, I think when I was 11, I got a subscription to like one of the firehouse magazine and fire engineering, which is like kind of the, the industry, you know, monthly periodicals that come out and or you know, uh, uh, magazines that come out. And so I just always kind of, I was just fast, you know, consumed by it. And, um, so I think for me too, it also provided, uh, a means of, you know, my house with abuse, there was also getting kicked out of houses cause they didn't pay the rent a lot different schools moving around electricity get shut off water get shut off you know i hated that yeah and i just wanted as far away from that as i could and so yeah. firefighting was stability to me yeah um but yeah the traction i i don't know where it came from other than it was it's always there it was always there and so um i just you know and i, I think that kept me too you know high school years it kept me focused you know yeah. it kept me i didn't drink much i i worked a lot i I just, uh, I just had my eye on the prize, you know? Yeah. Uh, and a guy, you know, I got there and, and it, it served me well, that, that motivation, uh, served me throughout my career. I got checked off all the boxes I wanted to do. And yeah. And how long were you in the 23 years? Yeah. Yeah. So I just, uh, I just retired. It's weird. Uh, I mean, in, in early, I retired early. Um, but it was time. It, yeah. It's, uh, you can only do so much of that and then. You don't know when your trauma cup's going to get full. Mine definitely was. It overflowed a few times over the last few years, and then, yeah, then I had a big event this last year that sent it over the edge. So, and I assume when you got into it, were you aware? Because I don't think I thought about this a lot. That firemen like do a lot more than fight fires. Yeah, probably they do other stuff. About eighty-five percent we do is medical calls, right? And that's the gamut from you know the assault to you know, from back pain to cardiac arrest to drownings to shootings. To, I mean, yeah. everything, you know, car wrecks. Did you know that going yeah, in? Yeah. 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 And that's what you, you still were kind of into it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's part of being a firefighter is that, you know, yeah. you got to get your EMT and stuff. And yeah. yeah. So I always liked that aspect of it too. I worked on an ambulance. So the, the first time I worked at, at a transport, we transported patients. Yeah. Um, so I worked on the ambulance quite a bit and yeah. I enjoyed that time. Yeah. But yeah, that was all part of the part of the gig, and um, you know, it's 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 uh, you have to be a jack of all trades and master of none. You know, it's like people call the fire department for everything. Yeah, water won't turn off. Call the fire department, right? You know, or anything. Yeah. It's like I've been called in the middle of the night because somebody had their oven on clean and. Right. It wouldn't, you know, I mean, just stuff like that. It's like, yeah. we, we, they call nine to one and it's like, oh, just in the fire department. Yeah. So we, uh, we get good at diagnosing a lot of things and just like I said, the jack of all trades and part electrician, part plumber, part firefighter, part <laughs> counselor, therapist, right. you know, yeah. uh, motivational speaker. <laughs> <laughs> I bet too, you, you gain pretty unique insight about like people and what's going on in the world and yeah. especially in the community that you're in people it's and it's not it's no fault of anybody but look firefighters you get inside people's homes yeah and uh and when they're not expecting it you know and so and you know i worked a lot of 
um, lower income areas too. And so you, you, you get inside people's homes yeah. <laughs> and you see what kids are living in what people are living in how they're living. And, yeah. um, and there's a lot of, I think that most people are sheltered from you just, it's, it's, it's pretty easy if you're not exposed to that lifestyle. You, it's just, it's there, but you're not, you know, it, it, I, I was telling you the story yesterday about a few years ago, I was sitting at a traffic light and, uh, it was a nice evening and life was good and I've got, you know, decent car and, and I'm happy, you know, and a car pulls up next to me. It was a uh, family full of Hispanic kids and, and I'm seeing mom and dad in a car that was barely running and fenders falling off and all this kind of stuff. But it's like, man, we're sharing the same time and space. We're looking at the same light, everything's, but what a completely different perspective this is. Yeah. Uh, and so I think that's with, with the fire department, you get, you gain that, you just see, you see humanity at its best at its worst, you know, you see it all. I mean, you, you see the sad, you see the happy, the, the good, the bad. Yeah. Um, but yeah, you get, you, you get insight to, you know, how people, you know, drug addiction and, um, abuse and just, you, you get into those situations and you see how that those cycles and how that plays out you know yeah um it's tough i mean i think over the last you know especially 10 years we've seen a um an obvious degradation of in our you know in the area i was working in um just more homeless showing up and just seems to be you know people suicides have gone up a lot you know the it seems like I want more suicides at the tail end of my career than I did for the first 10 put together, you know, yeah, or more. Um, and, and a different suicides too. I mean, it used to, when I first got in, it was more, it was definitely some younger people, but there was more of a generational thing too, where older people would, you know, the guy would find out he was terminal or whatever and he'd shoot himself in the head, right. you know? So that was, uh, so it's changed now. It's a lot more young people. It's a lot more, just yeah yeah was it ever frustrating to you to sort of be like the reactionary response to these things and sort of see you know what was causing these issues but that's something that you couldn't necessarily get into it was all like responding to you know (laughs) so firefighters get good at sitting around and um and watching things reading things and because you have to You, you know you go into all these homes and you go like you know, I know everybody's upset with the police right now, but people don't understand how fast things can change, too. And, and, and you know, a scene can go from calm to it's on, you know, like yeah. a knife pulled on us and being chased out, like, you know. Uh, and honestly, I've been in a situation at least one time where if if, if I had a gun, I, I, I think I might have used it, you know, because yeah. this guy came at us and we had to take off running, you yeah. know, like... Um, but uh, obviously that didn't, you know, it, yeah. it worked out okay. But, um, but I think that we, we have nobody, like when we talk about all these situations going on, these problems going on, social problems, I, I, we, in the fire, it was, it, you get frustrated because it's like none of the politicians want to listen to us. Yeah. And not saying we have all the answers, but we've got a pretty good perspective. Yeah. The police do too, your emergency room doctors and nurses and, you know. Right. Nobody ever asked us, you know, and uh, and I think, like I said, we don't have all the answers, but we like to think we do. But but I think we have some some ideas that could get us moving in the right direction. What are some of them? 
Or what are the ones that you feel passionate about? Well, I think, uh, you know, for instance, you know, welfare. Um, I think that, you know, people ask, like, what's the worst thing you've seen at work? And, uh, and they're always expecting some gory answer. And my answer is always disappointing. And every firefighter has a different answer for this question, yeah. too, by the way. But uh, it's loneliness, you know, and that's the saddest thing I've ever seen. That's the worst thing I've ever seen. That's the worst place we can get to as human beings. And uh, you go into a lot of the projects, and there's kind of two two types. You know, it, the one thing about the projects in, is that there is a sense of community there. Um, you yeah. see it in the transits. I mean, there, there, there's there's tribes, you know. Um, I dealt with a lot of transient people, and and but there you, there's tribes, you know, and it's by neighborhood or by 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 area. Um, but the the loneliness thing, I you know, when I'm talking about going to some of the projects, um, one thing that I that I feel strongly about is that we're as humans we're supposed to do something productive. We're, like if we don't do something productive, that's not like good for us. Yeah, yeah, you're supposed yeah. to have by the end of the day, like I earned something or I did something or I, you know. Yeah. And so when you give somebody something for nothing with no expectation of people sitting, they'll sit in their apartments and just watch TV for days and days and years and years and, and not have any dignity, you know. It's like you take away the dignity. So I'm not against helping hands. I'm not against welfare. It's just the way it's administered. I don't, and I don't have the right answers. I've, right. I've got a few ideas. But these are, I mean, these are big, big issues that need a collaboration of, of different people to come together. And unfortunately yeah. we don't have that going on. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I imagine too, it's not just like, here's the money. It's like, we also don't motivate people or support people or educate people enough to feel like they deserve to have meaning right, in their right. lives or like, it's a lot broader. I think of an right. issue. Um, yeah. Yeah. There's really no, it's exactly, there's no, the welfare kind of is a, you know, it's like when we get calls, police, fire, I feel like a lot of systems have failed to get to that point, you know. And I feel like the welfare system or, like, if you're at that point, I feel like that we've, we've failed you already. You mm -hmm. know what I mean? Yeah. Um, and there's some people that are going to be, you know, disabled or whatever that need to be on that system forever. But I feel like we could do a lot better at getting people motivated, getting them a dignity, getting them something, you know? Yeah. Um, instead of just sitting in an apartment rotting away, it's, it's just sad. That's a, that's a life, right? you know, that's potential. And that's a, you know, it's just the loss of potential. That's, that's, that hurts. And that's, that's been hard over the years, you know, especially seeing I worked up in, um, you know, one of the last black neighborhoods and uh, a lot of shootings up there, you know, and stuff. And, and, you got a lot of young black men shooting each other, and that's you know, you just uh, what a loss of potential, though. You know, and that's uh, that's hard. It's been you know the 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 current racial stuff going on. Of you know, had my feelings for a lot of years about you know we've decimated that population, and you know their communities, their businesses. Their we locked up all the fathers for generations now. For you know, I found on high school the ninety what ninety two or what a percentage of black males are in prison. Like that was insane to me, you know? Yeah. And so, um, working out in those communities and seeing the effects of that, uh, you know, I've been fired up for a lot of years about this kind of stuff, but yeah. Yeah. Well, it's interesting to me too. It's like, 
you know, thinking about, and I'd love to hear you talk more about it, but like the trauma that you endured as a firefighter within all of these spaces. Yeah. It's sort of like traumatized people responding to trauma, you know, of traumatized people. Like it's just this, you know, not only are you <clears throat> witnessing these things, but then you yourself are experiencing them. And I just think the, the complexity of the people who are firefighters and policemen is probably yeah. a lot broader than I think people understand. Like what is it really like right. to be and have, I mean, especially police to have a weapon in these situations and, and sure, like maybe a ton of them are, you know, white and haven't experienced this stuff and you place them in these environments and it's just like totally foreign and, right. um, and yeah, and scary. It's like how, how much, how able are you to like remain calm and logical, right. <laughs> you know, in a situation totally. like that? Well, I think that people have a lot of, you know, false ideas of how they're going to react in a situation. A lot of, right. you know, a lot too many people. And I think I didn't appreciate it until the last few years of my life here that of just, the, you know, how many situations I've been in, you know, I've been in close calls in my life with some of my friends' lives with, you know, um, just times where it's like, there's nobody you, I've done stuff, you know, jumped off of ladders onto roofs on stuff that I would never fucking consider doing ever. Right. But when you're in these positions of, you have to do something, you have to do it. Um, but the challenges that you get into, you know, police and fire, um, you know, it's like we, the, I feel like the cops, especially they, so little training goes into, to their employees, uh, for what they have to go deal with, you know? And like I said, the, every other system's failed by the time they've gotten there for most of the time, yeah. you know? And, and and like, you know, most of the West coast cities, you know, over half of what they're doing, 55, 60% of the calls are going on transients. They're not mental health workers they're not they haven't and they got a little tiny bit of training but not i mean the stuff that we're dealing with and now meth is back out in the streets boy things move things happen fast a lot of these people have weapons they're paranoid they're you know so i i just wish that there was some other layers of um i don't know i just the something something's failing before it gets to the police level yeah, and I'm not saying that, yeah, there needs to be police reform. There needs to be. Yeah. I think they need to be more funding. I think they need to be right. more training. You know, I don't yeah. know what the percentage of their time is for training, but it's it's small. Yeah, it's small, and they don't. You know, you for what you go out and deal with in the streets, it's it's not it's not good. You know, and I think you know we talk about right now. There's all these cuts with police. Like they need more. I, I think you need more police. I think you need at least if you had two police. You know. Uh, police officers in every car you know a lot of these situations these scenes it's one guy you know and it it goes fast and he's left with you know he's got to go to go to you know lethal force yeah. you know and i think if you had you know more police or you had better training police and you had you know some other you know, there needs to be some mental health workers out there too working with the police right. you know there, there, there's a lot of different ways we do this but i think i think we could do a lot better yeah, I want to talk more about the police, but before that. Mm -hmm. um, so when you finally did leave uh, and you went and did a lot of work, trauma, PTSD yeah. stuff, um, 
And I'm curious, I, I want you to talk about what that experience was like and then also like what that was experience was like in terms of reflecting back on like, I wish I could have known this stuff beforehand. Right. right. Um, so I think police and fire, um, a lot of people who get attracted to that are like me. They come from um, a lot of times broken families. And so it's a means of controlling chaos. Mm-hmm. It's a means of stability, you know, as a, as a career. Um, and so, um, with that though, you don't have a lot of times good, I didn't have a lot of good tools to go deal with some of the stuff. And my very first fire was a, uh, you know, I helped pull a little girl out that was, came out in pieces, you know, and I smelled it and I, it, I that's, you'll never forget that. You know, that's yeah. my, that's just by chance. My very first fire I went to was that, Yeah. um, I was 18 years old, you know, like, what do you, what do you do with that? And so. Uh, back in the day, we used to do a lot of, you know, a lot of dark humor and we used to fuck with each other a lot, you know, and that's kind of, a lot of that's gone away. I mean, uh, yeah, we just not, not and, and I, it's unfortunate. I think that sometimes maybe that got out of control. There's definitely times that got out of control. None that I can ever remember, but I know there's stories. Yeah. Um, but also it's like people trying to blow off steam and trying to, how do you do? I mean, how do you go cope with this stuff? You know, like there'd be shifts I'd come home from work and I might have been on whatever, you know. And then, you know, I remember a couple of car wrecks and stuff coming home and kids, you know. You've seen every part of the body outside of the body, you know. Yeah. Smelled it all. Like they all have smells. They all have, it's not just stuff you see. It's, it's, it's the emotions of the family there. It's all these other, you know, kind of things that can play into that. But, um, but, you know, then you go home and it's like, you got to go be a normal person. Right. And so you get good at, like, stuffing stuff down. You get good at kind of, and then all of a sudden you don't, right. you know. And so, and that's what we, you know, we have a trauma cup. And then we never know when when your trauma cup's going to get full, how long it's going to take, what call is going to be. You never know until it happens, you know. And so, for me, like, I, I first started noticing, I, it took me a long time to say I had PTSD. Uh, just for me, I always felt that was something that guys off to, you know, went off to war and a lot of those guys come back guilty, you know, feeling guilt cause their buddy died and they didn't, you know, like that. I didn't ever want to take anything away from them. And, um, and I, so it took me a long time to admit that. And I think also that was just an excuse for me to not to admit it, but you know, it's hard to say like these things are affecting my life, you know, and, and, and such. But, um, I finally, about four years ago, I had worked a, a double, so forty-eight-hour shift, and we were up both nights, and um, and we had just a, a call that went bad, and it was just one of the emotionally, it was just one of the like some of these you get into, and it's just like oh, you can just feel it's a heavy, it's mm. it's just oh, and that one shook us all up, and uh, I went home, and I was watering the yard in the morning because I was I always come home from work, and I transition. Go into the the garage, and I always have something I'm tinkering with. And sometimes it'd be 15 minutes, and sometimes I'd spend an hour, hour and a half before I'd go in the house. Because if I came home being a lieutenant, that was never good at home. You know, the yeah. the girls didn't like that at home. So um, I was out watering the yard, and I just started crying. And that was the first time, and at that point, uh, 20 years or so, 19 years, that I'd ever cried from a call. So I knew that that was my okay. I've got some trauma. I've got some PTSD. Yeah. Um, 
And it wasn't just that scene. I think there was just, it brought up, like, there was a lot of emotions that I didn't, what is this, you know? Yeah. Like, it felt like an itchy sweater, you know? Yeah. And so, um, so I'd kind of been bouncing around the last couple of years with that and, and talking to the therapist and, 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 you know, you know, all the stuff I could do, um, you know, all, but I was doing, I was doing okay. And, and then kind of had like, you know, realizing like, all right, I'm going to get out a little bit early. I need to, I got in young. So I, I, unfortunately my retirement's not, I got in, I was working at a different department, so my retirement didn't carry over. So I needed to go another 15 years with my current department for my full retirement, but there was no way that was going to happen. So I kind of had like a five-year goal. I wanted to get my daughter um, through college and and then, uh, and then you know, make a change. And so, um, so I've been kind of, you know, just maintaining for the last few years. And then, uh, you know, and then my daughter was killed in a car accident last year. And that was like... All everything, all those years of going on that shit, and every you know, it's funny the stuff that calls I remembered, you know, just stuff that you, you comes up that you didn't. You go on some of the stuff you don't know what's going to bother you, and then something like that happens, and it all, yeah, like, whoa. Uh, so I, you know, that I, that happened, and then um, I was off work for like six weeks, and went back to work, and my first shift back had a double fatal fire. You know, I smelled, I smelled them. That's how I found, you know, we had some fatalities because I could smell it. And, uh, and then, uh, like two shifts later, um, well, luckily we didn't go to the call. They put another, I was on the ladder truck and part of the duties of the ladder truck, we carry the extrication equipment for, for the pin and car X. And uh, so a car came in, uh, the next station over and we were the truck company for that. Um, but ended up being there. 16 and 19 year old sisters are both killed instantly. And so they sent another truck later on to go do electrification on that. Thank God. But that, that shook me up, you know, cause my daughter was killed instantly. And the thing is, I know what that looks like. I know that scene. I know that smell. I know the, you know, I know enough details about Iraq that I'm, I'm glad she was killed instantly, but yeah. she didn't suffer, but, and I have pretty intimate, you know, experiences with that as well so yeah. uh so i this you know, six weeks i was off work and um i went back and kind of so i do some shifts take some shifts off and but wasn't sleeping you know with shift work i haven't slept good for years and then uh after gabby died it was just i wasn't sleeping hardly at all you know maybe one night a week i'd get three or four hours in a row but for the most part it was like an hour and a half two hours and um so i did that for five six well six months um and then uh on the day the six month anniversary of my daughter's death a good firefighter buddy shot himself in the head and um and he'd been dealing with his ptsd and i'd been dealing with my ptsd and um you know i last time i saw him was my daughter's candlelight vigil and and i knew he was having some trouble and um but i you know tried calling him and he just kind of alienated himself and and eventually, you know, went down that road. Um, so that was like a big, uh, when that happened, it was like, I mean, that blew up everything again, you know. But that, for me, was a good indicator that um, it was time to check, tap out and go get some help, you know. And honestly, like, I, th- I think training jujitsu has helped with that. I don't know, like, you learn, because you learn in that is like, you you learn to let your ego go to tap out, you know, like, and I think that's what prevents us a lot of times from asking for help with firefighters and police and, 
for one, it's hard to find providers that even like I've had a therapist. I I don't want to hear anymore. I can't, you know, (laughs) so then you start thinking, well, I'm fucked up. Like what, you know, so it's, you know, it's hard, but that, so, you know, when Mike shot himself, um, the, the biggest difference, he wasn't sleeping. I wasn't sleeping. You know, he had his grief. I had my grief. He was drinking a bottle a day at that point, and I wasn't. Um, but that was too fine of a line for me, and I just knew, like, when you're not sleeping, your brain, it just gets yeah. scrambled, you know, and I felt like I was losing, I was going to lose my brain, and I couldn't guarantee at that point, like, if things got worse, uh, you know, my wife was going to find my brains on the ceiling, so yeah. a month later, I was uh, I was in a uh, inpatient PTSD clinic uh, that's exclusive for firefighters, and on the east coast and it's it's the, it, they've opened it up because of suicides in the fire service yeah so um so yeah i tapped out and yeah and you were like kind of there was like no foe and you were really i was gone like for a month there, yeah. yeah yeah they take they remove you from everything what was that like uh i mean i wanted it like yeah. i knew like this is my lifeline yeah um yeah you were like committed yeah, to, yeah. i was all in so um it was good i i, I typically i've done the old timers, you know, I, I I got trained to fight fire by a lot of the, the you know tail end of the Vietnam era guys, and uh, I also had some experience fighting fires, uh, you know, wildland fires on the, off a helicopter crew, and the pilots who were all Vietnam era pilots and stuff. So I got I yeah I got a uh, got a lot of advice off those guys, you know, and mm-hmm. and um, one thing those you know. Uh, those guys would always say, I forgot what I was going to say. <laughs> the Vietnam guys. Yeah. Um, oh, one thing they always said, sorry. They always said, like, and you watch it, you know, cops and firemen, as they get throughout their career, they, they, they intend to isolate from their other friends, mm-hmm. and they, they end up just hanging out with firefighters or other police officers. Yeah, or, yeah. And the reason is because you, you you lose, you start losing, you start alienating because you, you go to all this stuff and then you don't have really good tools to deal with it. And no, even if you have good tools with it, you're still yeah. like, you're, you're only good for so many of these. Right. You know, or something in life's going to come up and then that's your time. Right. You know? um, but I was always good about keeping friends outside the fire service and really making sure that I had non-firefighter friends throughout my career. Um, so you know, going to the camp, it was, uh, uh, it was all firefighters and, and, but I was fortunate for that because it was, um, it reminded me of the old fire service when I got in, how we'd, we'd talk shit to each other and fuck with each other and just call each other out, you know? Yeah. Um, cause we get good at bullshitting, you know, and, but we get good at spotting a bullshitter too. So, yeah. um, but it was good cause it was like, I could tell a story and like, oh, they got it. You know, or they could take a tell story. It's like, oh, yeah. I know what you're talking about. Right. You know, so, um, you know, it's fairly, fairly new, the treatment towards that that scale, or you know, that, uh, that kind of PTSD. You know, I think yeah. they've, the military's gotten a little bit better treatment. Or, you know, they're, they're a little bit further ahead um, and such. But, uh, no, it was good. It was like, I just instantly felt like, oh, okay, I'm safe. Yeah. And they got me sleeping again. That was like one of the first things I, you know, when I called them on the phone, I was like, I need to sleep. Yeah. You know, they're like, well, that's most of the people here aren't sleeping when they got here. So yeah, most guys are drinking a bottle a day and not, you know, trying to sleep. Yeah. So <laughs> it's funny. I just remembered we, we were together and 
December and you, I think I've actually talked about this on my podcast because I thought it was so cool, that whole feelings wheel right, thing. Right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So the feelings wheel, that's like, I, that's one of the tools I've, that's, I've shared the most with people. Yeah. Everybody I've showed it to is like, oh my gosh, I wish I didn't own this. And I'm like, yeah, I wish I didn't own it earlier too. Yeah. But it was simple. I was, you know, when you, when you go there, um, every day is just, by the end of the day, you're exhausted. Like mentally just, oh. Because this class is all day long and it's, you know, there's a lot of resiliency and meditation and yoga and just, you know, just conflict resolution and just uh, a whole gamut of of topics, right? Um, And they'll throw different things. It's like if, you know, out of half a dozen, maybe two will stick. And that's good. You know, that's that's how they do it. So, um the the feelings wheel i went to trauma class and uh and trauma classes where things got really deep you know um and uh so i was in trauma class and i thought you know i was gonna go just i only i only worked through one trauma the whole time i was there and that was related to my daughter's death um but the you know trauma class i was starting to tell a story one day and then you know how you feeling or what are you feeling you know like i don't know i'm Nothing. Yeah. <laughs> you know, no, that's not true. You know. Right. Okay, and I'm feeling indifferent. Thinking I had a. That was one of the ones on the wheel, right? Yeah. Actually, that didn't show me the wheel, but I'm like, oh, that's a, that's a good one. Indifferent. Yeah. I know that feeling. Uh, and so they're like, no, you need to describe more, you know, and tell the story. And I'm getting a little more emotional, and then you know they want, what are you feeling? I'm like, I'm getting pissed off now because. Like, I don't know what I'm feeling, you know? Like, that's, I, I don't know. I just, yeah. I'm getting pissed now. Because you keep asking me this, knock it off, you know? Yeah. So they handed me a feelings wheel, and it was like, so there's kind of six basic, you know, foundation of feelings on this wheel. You can see just, so if you're, you know, feeling what, I don't have in front of me right now, so. <laughs> it's complex, yeah. too. There's a lot of shit on but it. But you can, it helps you just, like, for one, it just gave me, like, I could look at it. And I only knew maybe a third of the feelings on there. You yeah. know, so I had to go look up a lot of them. And uh, so, but then at first it helped me just identify, what am I feeling? And then within that, I could see, like, what's the foundation of that feeling? Am I mad, scared, sad, happy, you know? Right. Um, and they were always, you know, scared and sad yeah. were the foundation. But but I learned a lot through that, you know, and that it, 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 the feelings wheel is one of those things. Like now I can identify at least what the root of my feelings are. And just with that, that, that insight right there yeah. uh, just makes it not so scary. Well, and also like I feel like the things that I remembered from it was so it's like a circle and there are these quadrants. Yeah. And then you have like two feelings in different quadrants, but they're next to each other on the right. chart. So it was like anxious and excited right. were like the same sort of energetic thing in your body. So yeah, so yeah. anxious is is scared. Yeah. And then uh, excitement is joyful, right? But physiologically, they're the same. Your body's queued up the same way. So like if you're having an, that can help you kind of in the in the moment. If right. you're feeling anxious, like okay, I can. I'm already primed up for this, so I can yeah. maybe turn this thought into something exciting. Right. You know, something about something that excites me. Right. Um, but also with the wheel, you can look at the opposite side of the right, wheel. Right. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. So it's like if I'm feeling anxious and I need to go do, I look at the opposite side of the wheel. I'll 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 send you a copy so you can post it on your website. <laughs> okay, at least. perfect. Yeah. Um, yeah. But no, it's it's on the refrigerator now. My wife and I, you know, she's coming home feeling insignificant, you know, or 
well, then I can look and see she's just scared. And then I can look on the other side of the wheel and say, oh, I need to do something thoughtful for her, loving for her, you know. Yeah. So it's, it's, it's helped out a lot, but just, I mean, it's still, it's so simple, you know, like it's such a simple tool, but, but they also, you know, that, that was probably one of the more simpler tools I learned there. Um, they also through trauma, trauma class, you'll go through and you'll recognize these stuck points you get with these traumas, you know, and then with these stuck points, you can run them through this, um, just these different, you know, like Socratic questioning, and then you run it through these cognitive distortions, and then it shows you, you come, it just shows you where your thinking's flawed. Yeah. You know, and that's up to you to do what you want to do with it. But, but that's, that's all stuff I learned there. I never, yeah. never knew any of that. Do you think, like, after having received all this training, I think about, like, is it possible for someone to be actually fully equipped to do the work of a policeman or a fireman? Like, is mm. that a humane job? Like, if we could educate people. Right. Um, and then also like, well, I'm curious to hear your answer to that before I ask you a second question. Um, I think it, uh, as, as an individual, no. Yeah. Yeah. It takes a team. Cause I, one of my strengths and weaknesses on a scene and somebody else, you know, like, right. um, but yes, I think, you know, with, I think if, you know, like with the police, you know, if you, if you had a lot more training up front if you invested in that if you had a lot you know harder training program you would weed out the people that aren't going to be good police yeah and 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 the ones that did fall through the cracks if we had some systems in place to i mean the guy that killed george floyd i mean 15 right use of force complaint i mean come on yeah why was he you know well yeah but a good program would have got rid of him he wouldn't even get to that point you know right um so yeah, I think better training. I think I think that you know, the mental health training for our own mental health. You know, you got to realize like, police and fire. We're just guys that, guys and girls that have families and, you know, want to be normal. And it's it's just after so many years, it just yeah. I think that we stay in the career too long. Anyhow, I think that should be I mean you know max fifteen year career, and police the same. Yeah. Um, you don't get a full pension, but here's a little for your time and we'll help retrain you to do something else. You want to do community based policing or, you know, right. something else, or there's, there's, you know, from the fire service, you can do fire inspections or you could do, there's, there's tons of different things. We could do a lot more community outreach, you know? Yeah. Um, but that's, but, but to be on the line, actually on the operation side, on the front lines, 10, 15 years and that, that's it. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, and I think what you said, too, like the people that are drawn to this in the first place are using the fire department or the police force to probably work out their own mm-hmm. past traumas or desires or fears or anger. Right. So it's like if we don't catch that right at the beginning and help people work through all right. that. I mean, first of all, maybe if we did, though, they'd be like, actually, I don't want to be a policeman totally. anymore, you know. Right. Um, but it's like we're using that to get someone in and then we kind of just let them become further and further fucked well, we up. Well, mi- we miss it. We, we don't, like I said, the training is so small, you know, yeah. and then we need, and you really need to front load that. Like that's when people come in the service, like they're eager, they're excited, they're open, they're, you know, yeah. you could get a lot of those tools. And it's not hard. These aren't hard tools. Yeah. You know, but it's, um, it's just not there yet. And I think that's part of the problem you're seeing with this. Like, you're seeing people that are burned out, that are scared, you right. know, um, sad, all that, you know, and they're trying to do a hero's job. Right. Well, and that's where, like, 
a good segue into this whole defund the police thing, I feel like, comes in, which ideologically, I I understand right. what people are going completely, for. Completely. But at the same time, like my fear, and I'm curious to hear what yours are, but I feel like if we have people who've been in the forest for a long time, they sort of see what's going on, they're a little more traumatized, maybe smarter, they're going to be like, I'm out. There's a lot of them leaving right now. Right. And then who are we going to hire? To me, it's like, what if we hire these like just robotic, idiotic Trump crazy right wing people who aren't going to get any training mm-hmm. and then use the force to take out whatever totally. you know anger and vendetta that they have. Um that freaks me out. It freaks me out. This yeah. is this is I've I've been fired up about this and 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 like I understand people there there needs to be some reform in policing. I think that um no doubt. But I, I also my experience and this has been up in the Pacific Northwest um and and I've you know over the last you know twenty three years in the fire service, I the, the cops we used to deal with and the, the cops we deal with now are are a lot different. You know, in what way? Oh, they're much more patient now. Mm. I mean, the old days were a lot more manhandling and mm. people get roughed up a little more. Mm. Um, but now that's it's it's for the most part that you know there's there's still there's a few bad apples and and there's some videos out there and. You know, for every video, though, that you're like, fuck, that's messed up. There's also one where it's like, oh, my God, I can't believe, you know, where a cop gets shot or a cop, you know. So it's it's the George Floyd thing, I think, um, you know, I think that that had been brewing for a while. Um, And that to me, um, I, you know, I wasn't I wasn't convinced that was a racial thing when I first saw it. To me, it looked like he knew him. I I saw that day, too, and I told my friends, I like that. They've had they've had a there's a history there. Mm. He's getting paybacks for something, um, and we've now found out that's the case. But um, but the defund the police movement, yeah, it's 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 um, it. I get worried about just that 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 what's there's always there's always elements there ready to to take advantage of of situations, you know. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think that between you know the the defund thing. That's obviously a concern. They, I think they said they need more training. They need um, more police that that aren't out on the streets all the time. There aren't training more. They can rotate them through different positions in the force. Um, but the the yeah the experience thing. Like in our line of work, experience is a lot. You know, a lot. And there's a lot of experience walking out the door right now. And that's that's got me most concerned. Yeah. So. What are you, what are you, like, what are you feeling about what's going on? I mean, obviously we're all just kind of guessing, um, but coming from the worlds that you've been in, which I feel like you're very keyed into like the systemic issues. Um, if you're, yeah, like, how are you reacting to this? What are you thinking? I, well, I think, you know, we've been feeling it for, like I said, we watched the degradation of society, especially for the last 10 years. Um, in the last two or three, well, three years ago, meth came. You know, I caught the tail end of the heroin years when I got started in the fire service, and then meth came, and that was big for a long time, and that was chaos. Mm. And then meth went away, and heroin came back, and it was it's like stoners for the most part, you know. Yeah. Um, and then meth came back, and it's it's just it's it brings a whole element of um, 
you know, paranoia and chaos and delusions and um, violence and um, and so that's been that's been back on the street. So that added an element, and then there, but there's just been a, a an underlying and increasing discontent and and just the lack. And even with the fire service, just the disrespected authority. You know, we just seen you know, like assaults on us have just gone up. You know, people. You know, so it's yeah. it, you're just watching this. So it it, it, it doesn't surprise me that, that we're going through this. I mean, it just seemed like we were ready to something was ready to pop. Yeah. Um, and I get it. You know, it's right now the 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 anger's at the police, and I I I I do I completely understand where people are coming from and and such. But um, but to make a big emotional decisions, uh, you know, policy based decisions, you know, on emotions and without these need to be talked out these need to be you know none of that's happening so that's that has me i think more than anything i'm frustrated the lack of leadership you know local level state level national level there's just we're the leaders yeah yeah do you feel because i know you're i mean a lot of people i know and care about are just like i just need to get out into more rural areas and do you ever feel guilty about that sort of no (laughs) No. because i sometimes do like am i supposed to like stay here and do something like i just i don't know my most intuitive emotion is like get the fuck out yeah and and lead other people there maybe right um but yeah it's interesting with you having worked so closely within that space for so long i want out yeah (laughs) i want out of the city yeah i've never felt that way yeah I mean, I've always been drawn to the country, and I hunt, and spend a lot of times outdoor. And but I've never had this like I want to get out of the city. Yeah, yeah. I'm. I'm. I wonder how many people feel that. I would assume a lot. I was just saying the other day. Every time I sit outside, like at night, with a fire, and look over some, you know, crazy mountain view, and see no one for what right. looks like hundreds of miles, and then I think of people stacked on top of each other in cities. I'm just confused right i've always wondered like there's a couple things in the fire service that like you know during the summertime when it's hot if you put air air conditioning in all the the low-income areas the amount of shootings and fights and would go down right like as soon as they get taught people get in their hot homes and they get drunk and they start getting angry and you know so I always thought air conditioning, and then also like if we could look at the stars and see, you know, look at the sky and see the stars at night, even if you're in the city, how much different would people be? Totally. Or or how I was talking about this too. Like if you just took all those people and put them and made them sit by a river for a week without access to their cell phone right. and, and gave them a book or something. They'd go crazy after like, yeah, well, wait, would they Right? like, where's the threshold of like, I just can't handle it. I don't know how to relax. And by relaxing, that means I have to look at myself and my own trauma. And right. I don't want to do that versus the people that I don't know. Um, couldn't avoid it and would just like feel their nervous system calm down and right. just follow that. Um, but it makes a huge difference. I can be a step in the right direction. Yeah. Yeah. There is that. We've just literally lost that disconnection with nature and especially in the city. Yeah. You know, that's why I still hunt. There's still that, you know, for me, it's just that for one, I just like being outdoors. uh, And that's the only way I can really get out hiking and backpacking like that anymore. Um, And I can sit and watch animals for hours and hours and hours. I just like watching how they communicate and behave and they all have different personalities and, 
and you can watch it and see. But but that connection with nature, the connection with my food, the connection with just that, you yeah. know, we've we've really been disconnected from that. And I think I think that's a big issue, you know. I really do. Yeah. And I think we use that. Not only are we disconnected, but I feel like we perpetuate the disconnectedness because I think the more you get quiet, the more you're not distracted, you start thinking about right. more things right. and maybe some things you've been avoiding by, you know, right. not being quiet. And But the key, the, you're never going to get there, like you're saying, unless you get yeah. away, yeah. unplug. Yeah, so we'll just go kidnap everyone one right. by one and drop them into the wilderness. Take them out a week at a time. <laughs> yeah. No, I mean, there's a lot of programs that that do that with troubled yeah. youth and... Yeah. Um, I don't know what the statistics are on that, you know, for success rates, but I think that's, yeah, it's a big, big part of our, our human needs that we're not, we're not fulfilling. Yeah. And it's funny with all the phones, how it's supposed to be connecting, but it's not, it's even more disconnecting. Yeah. You know, so I don't know. I've gotten out of where I only look at the news twice a week. It's just, you know, I, I've just been really trying to not. It's it's so hard, you know, especially with everything going on. It's 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 like it's right there in your pocket. It's everything's set up to get you to look, to click, to you know. And I just don't think that's healthy right now. Yeah, and to me, it's just again, it's often more distraction. Yeah, it's like something happens, and then there's a reaction, and then something happens. Like everything's falling apart. That's the headline. <laughs> right, <laughs> right. Under that umbrella, it's like let me know if that changes. But right, yeah, <laughs> that's all I need to know. Right. Um, all right. Well, thank you for having yeah, this conversation. No, thank you. I've been wanting to do this for a while. Yeah, you. me too. Um, so I always ask everyone on the podcast if they could recommend one book to the audience that oh, was really man. meaningful for you. What's, um, I haven't read a book for, well, that's not true. I've read a few books lately. One book that's really meaningful to me, um, probably one that I've gone through, um, I've read a few times. Uh, well, there's one, the, the War on Art is one, and then Sin and the Art of Motorcycle Maintenance has been one that I've read probably. I, there's only maybe once that I've picked it up and read it all the way through, mm. start to finish. Yeah. But I've that's one, for whatever reason, I when I was early in my life, uh, got suggested to me, and I I read it, and I was like, oh, I saw the parallels, and I, you know made sense. and So that's one I've kind of checked into over the years is like, when something's going on or, you know, that's one I can check in with. So, yeah, I love books like that, that are like just kind of by personal Bibles. I do that yeah. as well. There's some, I just open a page and I'm like, whatever I come upon is going to be what I need to read right now. Yeah. Yeah. No. Yeah. That's probably the, like, it's not the most fascinating read or anything, but, um, but whatever reason I keep going to that back to that when I need to. Yeah. It's a slow burn. Yeah. 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 All right. Well, thank you, Justin. Thank you. Hello, everybody. Thank you for sticking around and listening to that episode. So, so grateful to be able to help Justin share his story. The night before we recorded this, we were having some wine and making some pasta, and he was just running his mouth in the best way possible, talking about all the things that he was feeling passionate about and all of the things that he's so grateful that he gets to talk about now in this time in his life, not being in the fire department anymore. And I just said, like, I just, you need to talk, like, I just need to help you share all of this. Um, and so we sat down and recorded this, that conversation the next morning and, um, feeling grateful to, 
to get him out into the world. He's discussed that he'd like to start a podcast as well. So let's all let's all help him manifest that because I think it would be extremely valuable. Um, I'm going to play you out today with a song called Liars by Gregory Allen Isakoff. I fucking love Gregory Allen Isakoff. I feel like there's something about his music that like just touches me on such a profound spiritual level. And um, this uh, song in particular, or this version of the song is, uh, I believe it's with the Colorado Symphony Orchestra. And um, it's really beautiful. I, again, I'm not 100% sure what Gregory wanted this song to be about. Um, but for me, it sounds a lot like the expectations and the sort of grass is greener attitude that I feel like civilization places on us that even if we're sort of living the life that we feel like we should live, that we're always pressured to do something else and we just do what we're told. And in the end, we're just liars. And we lie to ourselves and in turn then lie to other people. And then we end up in the mess that we're in. So let's stop being liars. Let's stop pretending we don't care. Let's stop pretending it doesn't hurt. Let's stop pretending that we don't want a better life for ourselves, for others, for the planet. And we all, we have to do it together. There's no way we can do this individually. So glad you're all here. Again, if you'd like to support the podcast, become part of one of the WhatsApp chats, uh, participate in the book club, gain access to reading lists and playlists and all sorts of good things, head on over to patreon.com slash Anya Kotz. Or just subscribe, leave some stars and a review, or keep listening. I appreciate it all. Talk to you soon. Take the big one I'll take his brother Let's get this over with Cause I'm late for work Search the cost homes, the dirt and the sun. I sold all my baseball cards to buy me some clothes. That's how it goes. That's how it goes. That's how it I keep on thinking It's time to move on Move out to the city so huge Meet me some people 
these old hills They keep on calling Clouds round here talk Man, I've been listening Sold all these clothes To buy me this land I'm sort of happy Most of the time Most of the time Everybody just looking out my window the night 